Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Again, that's the book of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. That can be found in the Pew Bible in front of you if you're visiting on page 959. 959. Beginning in verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we want to invite the guests and all that are here to be sure and stay after this worship period for a period of Bible study in our Bible classes. We are just in the beginning of our fall focus, and it is where all of our adult classes will study the same theme together, and that theme for the Bible classes will be studying Christ, who is the King out of the book of Matthew. But then also during our period of worship, during this fall quarter, we're going to be studying Christ the King out of the book of John. And so we hope that we all get to know Christ better. And in that, fall in love even deeper with Christ. And in that, be able to look more like the one that we have learned and the one that we love. We want to continue praying for the Alice McCullough family, uh, her husband Nabe, and her siblings that are a part of this congregation and then also there are many other relatives that are a part of this congregation. Her service will be at 2 o'clock today at Bond and we want to be mindful uh, of that family and to give honor to her memory of such a great woman. Also, we want to invite everybody. Next Sunday, seven days from now, we will have our family day. Be sure and be inviting friends and be inviting family members and look forward as a church family uh, to being together. Our morning worship and Bible classes will be the same schedule as usual, but the evening worship, we will be worshiping at the park, Charlie Daniels Park, at 4 o'clock. And then at 5 o'clock, we'll have a, a meal together and we would encourage you, if, if you're a member here, to bring brownies or cookies, enough for your family and three or four others uh, would be sufficient. 
Uh, we'll also have games. We hear that there are several young adults here that are play, playing ultimate frisbee this day, these days. So uh, we'll have a cornhole tournament, an ultimate frisbee tournament, and uh, then the one we all look forward to, and that is the elders game of gotcha. And uh, then there'll be other games and activities for kids and adults and uh, just real important that is just enjoying the fellowship with each other for as long or as little as you'd like to do that uh, following that there will be an evening service here at six o'clock also if we were to go out into the community and ask individuals how do you envision or how do you picture Jesus Perhaps one of the common answers would be, I see him as a baby in a manger. But there's a problem when that's the only way we see Jesus. Someone else might say, well, I envision him as many of the artistic renderings are where, where he's holding a child and, and you see him as a gentle man. Or as that great shepherd and I see him out among the sheep. And these are all beautiful and even accurate renderings of what the scriptures present Jesus to be. But the problem is that if that were the only ways that we saw Jesus, we would be missing the most important way, perhaps, that we are to understand who Jesus is. We'll get to that in just a moment. Have you ever seen people that harm themselves? It's very painful to think about that somewhere around 10 to 12 percent, some studies say, of teenage girls inflict harm intentionally upon themselves, cutting, burning, or other intentional ways. It really is painful to see someone we love through drug addiction or alcohol addiction continually harm themselves. Perhaps we have seen individuals that just seem to jeopardize every relationship that they're in and they just continually harm themselves and even others. Perhaps we've seen those that are not responsible financially. They seem to always spend more than they make. They borrow more than they can pay back and in that they harm themselves. You get the picture. We could go on and on of, of things that people do that harm themselves. What would be the most detrimental thing that a person could do to themselves to harm themselves? On this next slide, I'd like for you to think about this. If we know that Jesus Christ is king, yet we do not allow him to reign in our lives, it is the worst thing we could ever do to ourselves. How do you envision Jesus? It's wonderful to understand that Jesus was in a manger one time. It's wonderful to know that he loved children and that he was a great shepherd. But listen, if we don't understand that Jesus is to be king of our life, we are missing the one who is to have the ultimate rule in every aspect of our life. This morning I would begin by asking you, is Jesus king of your life? I'm not saying would you verbally say that. I'm saying would your life reflect that? Does your life align itself with the headship, the kingship of Jesus Christ? I hope it does. In the text that was capably read that we're looking at this morning in John, the 18th chapter, it's interesting that we see 
what individuals did with Jesus. The Jews despised Jesus, especially the religious leaders, and so they arrested him, wanting to get rid of him. Pilate, on the other hand, was confused with exactly what to do with Jesus. And then also, by the time we come to Acts, the second chapter, we see just a few weeks after this occasion, there were those that were crying out in the name of Jesus, and they were submitting their life to Jesus, and they truly were allowing him to be king of their life. This morning, let's go back and let's study some of this out of John, the 18th chapter, and let's see what it is that we can learn. Just a little bit earlier than, than where we will concentrate, I want to back up, and if you have your Bibles open, you can look along. In verse 29, the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate. And so Pilate's natural question is, what accusations do you have against him? And in 30, they try to skirt around the question that Pilate asked by simply saying, he's an evil brought him to you if he wasn't an evildoer. And from there, we see that Pilate turns the table on them and says, well then, you just take and judge him and you take care of the matter. And then they bring out the fact that they did not bring Jesus to Pilate for Pilate to judge them. He was brought to Pilate because they wanted Pilate to execute him. You see in that very next verse there in 31, when Pilate said, judge him according to your law, their answer was, therefore the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You see what he's saying there? The Jews, even though they were allowed to have many of their traditions and their religion in place, they were allowed to have many of their leaders in place. They still ultimately had the Roman Empire that would tell them what they can and can't do. And one of the things that the Roman Empire would not allow the Jews to do is they would not allow the Jews to execute a man. Now it's interesting that when we get to verse 32 it says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke signifying what death he would die. Do you see what's being said here? In John 12, just a few pages back in your Bible, in 32, Jesus talked about if, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And that's probably what John is talking about here. He's saying Jesus has already told us what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, you remember in John 10 when Jesus said, no man takes my life, I lay it down? This is another way of saying Jesus is still in control of the matter. You see, if it were up to the Jews, how would the Jews have executed him? They would have stoned him to death. That was their form of execution. But you see, Jesus knew it wasn't going to be just the Jews that were involved in his death. They also knew that it would be the Gentiles, the Roman Empire, that also would be involved in his death. And how did the Romans so oftentimes execute? By lifting individuals up on a cross. Jesus planned before the foundations of the earth, and prophesied what kind of death he would die. And now as John is recording this, he just brings that up so that we could notice and learn for how much Jesus loved us. His life wasn't ripped away from him. He laid down his life for us. Well, after he talks to the Jews, that is Pilate, he turns and he goes within the praetorium and he talks with Jesus. And so he asked Jesus at 33, are you the king of the Jews? And at 34, Jesus, in other words, said, are you asking this because you want to know or has someone else told you to ask this? 
And now we come to where we are on our slides here. And in John the 18th chapter and 35, I'd like for you to read along with me. And let's notice, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Remember, Peter pulled out his sword and he was ready to fight. And remember, Jesus was the one who told him to put his sword up. Why? His kingdom is not of this world. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. On this next slide, we have that phrase highlighted that Jesus said there in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? What does that mean for Jesus? But what does that mean for you and I if Jesus is going to be the king of our life? That his kingdom is not of this world. Now, you may think that that's something simple, but I tell you this, it wasn't simple for mankind to grasp, and I would suggest to you that it's probably not real simple for individuals to grasp today. But especially in their day and time, the Jews under Roman oppression, what they longed for was they longed for a king, the Messiah, that would come and he would reign like King David reigned. Now, do you remember how King David reigned? He was the most powerful king on earth, he helped raise up, really it was God working through him, but God and he raised up the most powerful kingdom on earth. They were wealthy. They were powerful. No one was oppressing the Jews in that day and time. And now these Jews that were under Roman oppression, what did they long for? We want a king. We want a kingdom that's strong like that kingdom used to be. And so when Jesus promised that he was going to bring a kingdom, they all longed for an earthly kingdom. Our weakness in our human nature is we long for things that we can touch and feel instead of the spiritual that is by faith. I want to show you a few examples, and we could go to many in the scriptures. So what I chose is I chose the ones that dealt especially with the apostle John. John's the one that wrote this text, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But let's look back at some things that took place in John's life and let's see him gaining an understanding. Turn your scripture, if you will, to Matthew, the 20th chapter. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, we see an occasion where James and John, who were brothers, came to Jesus along with their mother. And in verse 20 of Matthew 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that would be James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he, talking about Jesus, said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant me that these two sons of mine, that's James and John, may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand. Where? In your kingdom. What do you think she's asking there? Most likely she is envisioning an earthly kingdom that's going to be like the Davidic kingdom and she's saying, I want my sons to sit on the right hand and the left hand, some of the highest positions of authority in this kingdom that she probably was picturing of being an earthly kingdom. Now Jesus told her after this, you don't really know what you're asking. Now, there's probably several elements to her not understanding what she's asking, but do you remember where Jesus reigned? 
once he ascended into heaven, he is reigning on the right-hand throne of God. You see, she wanted her sons to reign with Jesus. They're going to have to die and also ascend. And that's probably one of the things that ran through Jesus' mind is, you don't really know what you're asking here. Go, if you will, to Acts, the first chapter. Jesus, by this time, has died. He has been resurrected. This is the setting where he was giving the great commission that all authority in heaven and on earth, now think about that word authority as Jesus being king, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And then we read that the apostles were still confused. Now you listen to this. He is about to send into heaven and they're still confused about what the kingdom is all about. Look at verse six. Therefore, when they had come together, they ask him. So the apostles are asking Jesus saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they longed for that day that that earthly kingdom would be restored. Israel would reign strong and superior to all other kingdoms. But you know, by the time they came just a chapter later in Acts the second chapter, we learn that Peter, and it says, and the 11 stood up to speak. And you remember what they spoke about. According to Matthew, the 16th chapter, God, Christ, had given Peter the keys, that's access into the kingdom. And in Acts 2, he stood and he preached and told them how to come into the kingdom. They started understanding that this kingdom was spiritual. It wasn't a physical kingdom. With that in mind, John, much later in his life, would write 1 John, the second chapter. There's much here we could develop, but let's just look especially as it pertains to kingdoms. Look at 1 John, the second chapter in verse 15. 1 John, the second chapter in verse 15. Do not love the world. See, that's a kingdom that is of darkness. Do not love the world are the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's what's in the world. All sins could fall into one of these three categories, perhaps. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And even though the word kingdom is not here, he's describing that we can allow Satan to be the king of our life, to rule our life. And if so, our life is... Now, are you noticing this? Christ's kingdom is not of the world. But if we allow the world to reign our life, now our life is of the world. So what does your life look like if it's of the world? We are moved through life by lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And notice he says at the end there, he says that the world is passing away. If we are of that control, we are investing our life in something that is not permanent. It's temporary. Or... We could join our life with the kingdom. And it, according to that, will abide forever. What a beautiful thought. 
That's why Colossians, the first chapter, is so important. In verse 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. See, that's the world's kingdom. And conveyed us into what? Into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. If we don't want to be in the world, how can we leave the world? Well, the fact is we can't leave the world on our own. If we could, we'd be our own Savior. And so we have to have the King to convey us, to deliver us from the world. And in that, our sins can be forgiven. In that, we can be saved. And we can become a part of a kingdom that is not of the world. Now, with that in mind, I invite you to turn back to our text in John, the 18th chapter, verse 36. And I'd like to show you this in John 18 and 36, where Jesus answered, and he said, the kingdom is not of the world. And then he said, if it were, he, servants would have fought. But then notice the end of this verse. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now, I know that's very similar to him saying it's not of the world. But from that of the world, I want you to see the fact if our life is of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, our life is of the world. But if instead our life is all about the will of the Father, that abides forever and that places us into an eternal kingdom. But then notice the last part of this verse which is very similar but a little different. He says, my kingdom is not from this world. You see, when we're living in the world, we tend to think that everything is about the world. In other words, it all begins and it ends in the world. And that's just not the case. There is so much more before the world was ever created and there'll be so much more after the world is destroyed. If all we're doing is living for a kingdom that's of the world and from the world, we're missing so much. What do I need to see about this? Perhaps the most important thing that I need to see about the kingdom not being from the world is I need to see that there's a kingdom that is so powerful it's so greater, much greater than all the other kingdoms that have ever existed. Let's look to one of the great kingdom passages. Let's look to Daniel, the second chapter. In Daniel, the second chapter, we have Nebuchadnezzar asking Daniel to tell him first what was his dream and second, to interpret his dream. And by God's grace, Daniel is able to tell this man what he dreamed and then tell him what his dream meant. And the image that he described that was in his dream was an image that was describing the world powers. The first was Babylon that was in existence then. And then he was able to even tell him that even though this looks so powerful now, you know when you look at a world power, you think, oh, that, that will be the power forever. That's probably what you'd have thought in the day that, that this was being prophesied here. But he said, no, the Persians will rise up one day and defeat the Babylonians. And then he goes ahead and says, now after the Persians, there'll be the Greece will rise up and defeat the Persians. And then after that, Rome will rise up. So hundreds of years before Rome was a world power, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream 
Daniel tells him what the dream is and then interprets it. And what is it about? It's about kingdoms that look so strong you would think they'd never be shaken, crumble. But each one rose and then it was shaken and it crumbled. But then when he gets to this one in Rome, he says, now let me tell you another kingdom that's going to be established at the very same time Rome is in play. And let's read this here in Daniel, the second chapter, in verse 44. And in the days of these kings, see the days of these kings is talking about when Rome and, and Roman emperors were in, in power. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. And in the next verse, he tells that it's going to come out of a mountain, so to speak, without hands. In other words, it's not going to be a kingdom from the world. Man's not going to raise up this kingdom. Man is not going to create this kingdom. This kingdom is not from the world. This kingdom is from God. That's why when Pilate asked Jesus, who are you? Are you a king? It's almost like Jesus says, this is going to be hard for you to understand. You probably think if I say I'm a king, you're going to look around for boundaries, geographical boundaries, okay? Show me your kingdom. And he says, my kingdom's not of this world. You're probably going to say, show me where humans rose up and they made this a powerful kingdom. And he says, it's not humans that make my kingdom powerful. The power of my kingdom is that it doesn't come from this world. This kingdom is all from and all about God. That's why, just quickly, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that's why this passage here gives us great insight to this kingdom when it says in Hebrews 12 and 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, see that? The kingdom cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. We can be a part of this kingdom, but the only way we can be a part of this kingdom is by the grace of God. And if we are a part of this kingdom, we're going to realize that we owe God great service. We owe God great reverence. And a part of that is living separate from the world and reverencing God who calls us into this kingdom. And so we go back to John the 18th chapter and notice Pilate says to him again in verse 37, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, you rightly say I'm a king for this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world. You notice that? You say I'm a king, why am I here? For this cause I was born. Why am I here? For this cause, I left heaven and I came to earth. What cause? So that I could be a king that would reign over those who are going to be delivered to heaven. I became a king so I could conquer the world's power and allow individuals that want to be with me notice where I can deliver them. And he closes this passage by saying it's only by truth. I'd like for us to close this lesson by looking at 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 24. Last night, late at night, this sermon was churning in my mind and, and without even, I wasn't trying to think of passages and this passage just rolled through my mind as I was thinking about the points of this sermon. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and 24. Jesus says in the great resurrection chapter through the apostle Paul's handwriting, then comes the end. 
When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom where? To God the Father. Now what's he going to do with, with all these other powers that are evil? When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not from this world. His kingdom is going to be delivered eternally into heaven. And the rest will be destroyed. He must be king of our life. Or we do the greatest injury to ourselves that we could ever do. What I learned today, number one, I learned if Christ is our king, we don't live a worldly life because we're not of the world. Number two, I learned that the world is temporary and it's going to perish. The kingdom is eternal. It's going to be delivered to heaven, to the Father. Number three, I learned that if Christ isn't our king, we're harming ourselves in the worst way possible. Will you allow Christ to be king of your life? We're about to sing a song of encouragement. And the greatest reason we could sing this song is to give an opportunity and to be encouraging anyone that is in this auditorium to respond to Christ, the King, as He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Christ can move us out of the world and into His kingdom. Are you a believer that's willing to repent and turn away from the worldly living, confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized into Christ and God will raise us spiritually from the dead and place us into His church, the kingdom on this earth. Maybe you've done that and this morning you evaluate your life and you realize that Christ hasn't been reigning in your life because you haven't let Him. He won't force His way in. It's a decision that individuals make. Have you ever thought about it? He doesn't expand his territory by conquering. He expands his territory, according to John 12 and 32, by drawing all men to him. Anyone that's in his kingdom is there because they have decided to be in his kingdom. And this morning, if you're ready to make that decision and you want to pray forgiveness, you want to repent, we'd love to help and encourage you any way we can. Maybe you're here this morning and all you know is this sparks your interest, but you don't know a lot more. We'd love to sit down and study with you and just visit with you one-on-one -on -one if that would be something you would like. If we can help you in any way, 